Welcome to the Lanky Guys Podcast. We are the Word on the Hill, brought to you by our sponsors, Nabisco and <laughs> Frito-Lay. I think you said our name backwards. I did. And uh, Frito-Lay wishes they were our sponsors. <laughs> Hear that, Frito-Lay? Frito-Lay. Oh, man. Dude, I have to tell you, man, I was thinking, I was just like, coming to you through your minivan speakers, your mm. headphones, and your general Bluetooth devices. Dude, those miniature vans, they... uh. <laughs> There's some cool ones out there, dude. Is that don't you they ever call, driven a miniature van? Don't they call them smart cars? Those are those are different. The smart cars are very little, dude. Here's a the small question: car, man. Which is more Catholic of a car, a Chrysler or a <laughs> Fiat? Well, I would say the Fiat. Yeah, I mean, which I w- precedes the coming of the Chrysler. <laughs> it's a very much a Catholic. See, the Protestants all focus directly on Christ without the story and the context and all of the means that God used in salvation history to bring it about. So the fiat would be fundamentally more Catholic. And we're in the Christmas season, and that's uh, no, just, we're not. Whatever, we're not in the Christmas season, dude. Look at, dude, I, dude, look at enjoy the Advent while it lasts, dude. Look at me, man. Did I, I like, make you mad? Just I turned now? into an American. <laughs> I, you know, you're right. I've just, you know, and I'm mad at myself is really what happened. <laughs> you got really grumpy just now. No, I got mad at myself. Sorry. No, be Christmassy. It's no, fine. No, no, This is the problem. Is like, it's like I, I realized that I skipped Advent in my you heart did, you did for a minute, Advent. dude. Well, we do you have any shout outs? Because I sure do. Scott, shout it out, bro. All right. A couple shout outs. The first one I want to shout out, and I want to get this right because I'm going to blow it. Uh, we got a shout out. Eddie Cervantes. Mm. Cervantes. That sounds right. Eddie. I've always just known him by Eddie. And his in his roommate, his his buddy Josh Florence, who I don't know if you knew this, Father Peter. They uh they're out in Golden and they're doing a podcast themselves, which is inspired by the word on the hill with the lanky guys. No kidding. Um it is called, let me see if I can pronounce this correctly, La Cima Alta. And La Cima Alta is basically um the Spanish language version of us. Oh. Which is really beautiful. I met with Eddie the other day. He uh, he came up to Boulder and we just chatted for a while. And these guys are doing awesome work because they're actually able to reach with, you know, kind of the pedagogy of what we're doing, this audience that we're not able to reach because of a language barrier, which is so beautiful. So they've been inspired by what we're doing and took it on to try to bring it to a whole nother population, which is really cool. So a huge shout out to those guys. And if you guys get a chance, check out La Cima Alta. You can find them on SoundCloud. Um, but these guys are great. Dude, that's killer. I know, it's pretty sweet, isn't it? Yeah, I uh I want to I wish I spoke Spanish. My Spanish teacher gave up on me. Um She gave up on you? She did. She was tutoring Does me. Does that mean failed you? No, no, like what happened is she would like come in and she would like tutor me for an hour extra before the classes. Okay. And then she just didn't tell me but stopped showing up. And it, it sent a very <laughs> it's always clear a bad it's, sign. Yeah, it sent a very clear message. So I would give a I'm going to wait for you to start doing that on the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, I couldn't make it this week. Yeah, sorry, Scott. <laughs> sorry. Sorry about that. Well, I also want to give a shout out to Kim Bryant, who is a faithful listener. She's been listening every week since the beginning. Lord help her. Um, but I'm grateful that she's been, <laughs> Kim, she's been sticking it out. Kim, it's so nice. I, I was actually talking to uh, to uh, Maggie. She used to go here. And uh, Maggie, a shout out to you. We were talking and she's like, she's like, oh, it's nice to see you. She was really casual. Like she'd seen me before. Like we hadn't seen each other in like... A significant period of time. Wow. Well, that's how ubiquitous you are, though. I mean, you are just a monumental figure to people. And what's fun is that, no, well, so are you because you're in their heads. 
And so when you listen to the podcast, my brother calls me and he's always like, hey, yeah, I had to be reminded to like that. Oh, yeah, you're not you haven't heard my voice. Oh, because yeah, he's people... heard mine. Anyway, well, last thing. This isn't quite a shout out, but it's shout um, out. it's shout ish. I suppose. Shout some. So we've mentioned before we are going to be at Seek 2019 in Indianapolis, Indiana. So the big focus conference this year. And we are going to be recording a live episode. Uh, focus um, has a venue where podcasters um, can actually podcast. And so they have invited us very generously uh, to podcast there. So we're going to be, if any of you are at Seek 2019 in Indianapolis, we're going to be doing the podcast on January 4th, which I think is Friday. Anyway, uh, whatever day that is, uh, January 4th at 415, um, which is right like on the way to the dinner. So 14415. Is that right? Yeah. 144159. Yeah. Um, I don't know where the venue is, but we'll figure it out. I'm sure you'll figure it out where the podcasting is. So if you guys want to swing by, we'd love to meet you. We'd love to see you. We'd love for you to laugh at our jokes on air. That's always fun. That's always what I hope for from Scott. So yeah. you can help me with that. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a rich one, Father Peter. All right. So January 4th, 415. Uh, Find us. Be there. Be square. And and call that number. One four four one five one nine. Text your phone and to text Lanky guys at one four. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. No, don't. Be, that's um, not a thing. But but I think it would be awesome if you um if you did that because then and then recorded whatever is on the other end of that line, and then <laughs> that's a uh, terrible send, idea. Then send it to us and we can broadcast it. Okay, we'll see. If, we'll see if we. Do it that really is a terrible idea. All um, right, for now. For now, it's the fourth Sunday of Advent. Yes, um, and our first reading is from the book of Micah. The book of Micah Flores. Chapter 5, verses... Uh, <laughs> that's an embedded Micah, Micah shout Bonansinga. out right there. Micah Bonansinga. I don't... Who's I have, that? That's my nephew. Oh. My sister's... Uh, Micah? ...does not share my maiden name. Ah. What was the last name? Bonansinga. That's... That's hardcore? Yeah, is dude. Is that German? Be, that sounds very German. Bonansinga. It's all Italian, bro. Bonensinger. Bonensinger. Okay, so okay. Uh, Micah, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 <laughs> through 4a. And our response to Royal Psalm is coming from Psalm 80, verse 2 to 3, 15 through 16, and 18 to 19. Then our second reading is Hebrews, chapter 10, 5 through 10. Why am I talking all deep, man? I don't uh, even it's know. that because you watched Scrooged recently yes with bill murray <laughs> is that the voice that you're doing i don't know man. from that ad yeah okay our gospel is coming from the gospel of luke chapter 1 verse 39 through did I, 45 did, did i say the second reading i don't know man would you say that luke again luke what do you want to say the second reading again yeah if that's what we're afraid of having lost yeah yeah hebrews 10 5 to 10 boom and our luke is from luke <laughs> chapter 1 <laughs> luke is from luke it's luke Mm. It's, it's Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 45. It's Luke, Boom. it's Luke, it's Luke, it's Luke, it's Luke. So here's the thing. <laughs> I have plenty to say about all these readings, but none of them together. Hey, man, that's I'm my job. I'm not sure. What, yeah, no, it is kind of your job. All right, Micah. You give me a bunch of weird, random information about weird, stuff. Weird, and random information. And then, then Context. I, then I connect it together and bring home a spiritual message. You give... <laughs> I'm just like the the research library encyclopedia that sits on that shelf. That's right. That people pull out at the last minute before a term paper. <laughs> before, oh, I need that book. They're like, they're like, oh no, it's an hour before confessions before mass, <laughs> and and you're they're like, listen to the link, guys. That's Call me. the librarian. Call the librarian. The link. The link librarian. The link librarian, dude. What I did there? Man, you're oh. link librarian one, and I'm link librarian two. <laughs> You're the, uh, yeah, we can keep going on this. <laughs> Dude. All right, Micah. 
um, did you ever watch Twenty Four? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm Jack Bauer. Until it became clear that every season was the exact same. Plot. I loved it. And then, no, it was good. It was a good you, plot. You're you're my Chloe, and I'm Jack Bauer. I'm Chloe. Yeah, dude. Really? Uh-huh. I don't think I'm cynical enough to be Chloe. <laughs> Wasn't she super Chloe or super cynical? Uh, I shouldn't have laughed at that so hard. Yeah, it's a little hard. All right, Micah, here's what we need to know about Micah. Micah, The the passage we're getting from Micah is the kind of famous Christmas passage from Micah. Here's one of the things I have to say about the um, the minor, well, not just the minor prophets, but the prophets, of which there are many, right? So there's 12 minor prophets. You're Jack Bauer, too. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. (laughs) Do you realize how short... um, uh, Kiefer Sutherland actually is <laughs> no. He's real short. Okay. Kind uh, anyway, of, kind of like Micah's book. The kind of Micah's not that short. It's uh, what seven or eight chapters. Oh, okay. I mean, I've seen yeah, shorter. Okay, twelve minor prophets. Um, and then you have the major prophets. But but one of the things that's kind of beautiful about them is this is this little snapshot that we. If anybody knows anything about Micah, they probably know this passage, which is the one about Bethlehem being the place where the king is going to be born, right? Which is about Jesus being born in Bethlehem and all this stuff. But um, the beauty of looking at all of the prophets sort of together, it creates this big jigsaw puzzle or tapestry of all of these little pieces of who Jesus is and what he will do that you kind of have to look at all of the story together to get the whole tapestry, right? We can focus on one little corner piece here and we get this information that, oh, there's this king who's going to be born. He's like a shepherd. He is a shepherd. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. It's going to be beautiful. But then you you put that together with these other passages that talk about a virgin who's going to give birth and you talk about uh, the star that's going to announce his coming and all of these different things. And all of a sudden you look at the Old Testament as this beautiful I was going to say quilt, but a tapestry of all of these beautiful things about the Messiah, which is just sort of how God works, that God loves to sort of veil himself in a certain way until you can look back and be like, oh, I see the whole picture now. Right. So um, that being said, that's, that's a caveat before I actually said anything. <laughs> but that being said, um, it is this little snapshot that we know. But knowing a little bit more about Micah, I think is important. So Micah is a prophet. Um, who was living around the time? He's probably a contemporary of Isaiah, right? So he's living during the time of um, dude. And if I mean, let's be honest. If you had to prophesy while Isaiah's prophesying, man, that'd be tough because that dude's coming up with some seriously great stuff, dude. Yeah. Although, check this out, Jeremiah later on, who's a pretty big deal of a prophet, right? He uses Micah as his precedent for some of the stuff that he does. Which is a big deal. He doesn't use Isaiah. It's like trying to write Christmas stories when Charles Dickens is active. You know what I'm saying? Like, Did you hear what I just said, though? I just gave Micah a huge shout out. I know. Jeremiah uses Micah, not Isaiah. I know. Oh. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Then? I'm just uh, I'm just saying that it would, it would... You just wanted to get that Charles Dickens yeah, reference I, I really did. Yeah, I that's really, fair. That's all. I, that's I, how, I, I hear you. That's what I was trying to do. No, what, but remember Jeremiah at one point when he's speaking against the temple and he's like, I'm, he was announcing the corruption and all of the greediness and the, you know, the idolatry and everything. And basically one of his defenses when people want to kill him is like, hey, Micah basically said the same thing and you guys didn't kill him. Oh, which is the only reference point that you get of Micah. <laughs> it's that's, still a nice one. That's good. I like that. But it that. shows that other people have done this. Jeremiah's like, I'm not alone in this message I'm proclaiming. So Micah, Micah's a really dark book. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. A lot of the prophets are pretty dark. It's definitely got a darkness to it. Isn't it? It's, yeah. I always, for some reason, I always heard that Micah's the last. Mm-mm. 
No. Okay. No. I thought because because there's the prophecy from Gabriel and Micah. From Gabriel? Or is that in Baruch? Or, it's wh- not Baruch. It's not Micah though. What's the last of the prophets? Uh, Malachi. Malachi. Oh, you're thinking of the John the Baptist, the Elijah yeah. reference. Yes, yeah, that's exactly. Malachi. Okay, not to be not mistaken Micah. with Micah. Oh, I see exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which oh man, Malachi. We can field it. So yeah. Malachi, uh, Micah way way predates him. Okay, good. So we're we're way. That's back. why I was like, okay, contemporary of Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, Malachi yeah. got it. So the the way that Mal uh, that Micah sets up his his book, basically, it's this series of three. The technical term is a rib. R.I.B. Like, <laughs> I want my baby back, baby back, baby back baby ribs, ribs. <laughs> not that kind of a rib. It's like You're a ribbing lawsuit. Me, dude. It's a Hebrew term for a lawsuit. Dude, right? isn't ribbing like? Isn't it like if somebody's ribbing you, they're like messing with you? Yeah, but I don't think it's the same etymological root. Okay. So a rib is, you know, I'm bringing a law, I'm bringing a charge against you. Okay. Right? So if a lawyer or a prosecutor brought a charge against you or something, it would it would technically in Hebrew be a rib. Right. Is it, yeah, is so it, isn't that also what they do in divorce proceedings when a woman brings a rib against a man? <laughs> is that an Adam and Eve reference yeah. that I don't get? <laughs> yeah, no, I just thought it was funny. No, it was good. I think I get a, it. She got a rib from him. He, and, and she has a, a rib to bring, pick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, a rib to pick. <laughs> I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back rib. <laughs> <laughs> but all three of the ribs or the charges that are brought against um, the reason I point that out is that they're, they're formulaic, that they always start with the, the, the formula of a Shema. Remember the, 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 the huge, famous, foundational Hebrew prayer, Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So every one of these charges against them begins with, Hear, O Israel, which should be this reference point that's saying, Israel, you have forgotten who you are. Hear, O Israel, Shema, Ya Israel. Think back to who you're supposed to be, and he'll ba- bring these charges of the ways in which they have corrupted themselves, they have enslaved each other, they have um, corrupted social justice, you're abusing the poor, their idolatry. All of these things will be brought forth. And it, it's it's funny because Micah is writing during one of those kind of rare times of success and prosperity in Israel. And usually you expect the prophets to kind of come when things are really bad. Yeah. He's one of the ones that comes when things are relatively good, at least financially and, and you know economically and securely. They're feeling pretty good about themselves, and he's calling them out, and that you've let your security become your God. You've let your finance, your greed, your land, your prosperity, all of these things have become your God. And it's one of these things that we as humans just do when we don't have to worry about anything beyond ourselves we usually won't it's that whole saying you know there's no atheists in foxholes right Right. but there shouldn't be any atheists in mansions either right but when we're comfortable and we don't have to worry about our well-being it's really easy to forget about god and so micah is saying you've not only forgotten about god you've forgotten about your neighbor and not only that you've gone against all of these it's 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 pretty rough it's a horrible book and there's this movement. <laughs> well, it shows all these horrible things that right, they're doing. Right, exactly. It's just dark. But there's a movement. It's it's dark. I'm, I'm hesitating because yeah, there's a lot of darkness. But it's actually one of the more hopeful of the of the uh, twelve minor prophets because there's a movement in it from basically calling out the kings. It's because of the bad, corrupt, evil kings that you're. It's the trickle down morality of what's happening with the kings <laughs> in the time in a certain sense, right? And so it's calling out evil kings and it's pointing to a time of better kings. Ultimately, which will lead to a time of the great king. Does that make sense? Yes. Absolutely. So a movement from lousy kings to okay kings to the king. And actually, I want to quote from St. Ambrose because oh. he actually had this one like line summary of Micah, which I thought was kind of cool. Dude, this is an Ambrosian quote. It is an Ambrosian quote. So St. Ambrose, who was, when was Ambrose? He was early, right? Early hundreds of the church, something I, like that. Yeah. 
He said, so Micah began prophesying in the days of Jehoiathim, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. We've heard of some of those. He says, by this order, the progress of his vision is signified, for it goes from the times of evil kings to the time of good kings to the good king. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of a cool kind of pithy way to think of it. I really like that. Yeah, it's nice. Well, and it, it, this is the thing is that that's really actually the pattern. Uh, that's the... the that's it's we have a colloquialism or a cliche that we say it's always darkest before the dawn yeah yeah that's that 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 in in a certain sense it's that's a very christian catholic way of seeing things is to say that that oh no when it's really bad we know that that's that's actually the signification that we're hitting rock bottom and we're about to actually spring to the heights absolutely maybe we're hitting suck bottom at that point Oh, did you just make a barracks I, reference, I bro? did make a barracks reference for Man. both of you out there in the world who get it. Whoa. Well, I'll leave that yeah. there. Um, but the other thing I want to say, and I'm, I'm trying to find a way, I'm trying to give as much information that could potentially come out later in the other readings, because I'm, again, a little bit lost here. Um, but what Micah does, the way he sets all of this up is basically with a lot of themes from the Exodus. And so a big part of the theme is slavery and land, right? So uh, he talks about rest. Remember, um, Israel was finally given rest when David made Jerusalem the capital. They were free from all of their fighting and their enemies were all vanquished. And they had finally settled in the promised land that God promised them all the way back from the time of Abraham. And this idea of rest is sort of this idea of being freed from all of this stuff. They have now taken the rest away from the people around them. They're, they're, the, the, <laughs> I, like I, the, I like the homophonic quality of that. I know. I'm, I'm trying to avoid it. Do not take the rest from me. No, like like the, the, what uh, the peaceful experience of life, which is what we call rest, not the leftovers. Yeah, kind of. Um, but in, but in, in the deeper sense of, I mean, this is the thing. Micah is focused on land and the corruption of the land and property and and greediness, which is one of those things that, you know, we think of land and property and real estate and greediness. And it's just it, it's it's a thing. You know, we own houses or we don't own houses and property values and real estate. It's something that we toss around all the time. Right. I, I Yeah. Yes. We, but in the ancient world, it, we, we lose sight of how big of a deal land actually was. Because unless, unless you visit the Holy Land and then you understand how— And then you begin to. How, how intense, to this day, that occupying the land is actually, like, right. it's a spiritual quality. It is. And for Israel in particular, it's a spiritual quality because the land that they possess, where they live, was a gift given to them by God when he set them free from slavery in Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, crossed them through the desert and gave them the promised land as their gift, which was why dwelling in those in that land, in those tribes, in those territories, all this stuff, this is God's gift to us, which is why, you know, way, way later on in the story of the prodigal son, the idea that the prodigal son would sell off his inheritance, which is land, right. would be unthinkable because you're like, wait, that's what God gave our ancestors in the Exodus. Right. And you just sold it to somebody? Right. Like it was unthinkable. And so... With that context, what they're doing in Israel is taking people who should be dwelling in rest on the land, and they're stealing it from their fellow Hebrews. They're enslaving each other. They're taking land. They're buying it. And they're selling it, and they're 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 ignoring the fact that no, this was all gift, and you're treating that which which was gift as commodity, and you're taking it and you're selling it and you're enslaving it, and so basically he's saying what you've done is reversed the trajectory of the Exodus. God took you out of slavery and gave you land. Through your greediness, you're taking land from your fellow Hebrew and enslaving them. 
And so thus you're reversing what the Exodus was. So because of that, there's going to be punishment. And your kings, Micah is where we get that famous passage about the kings were supposed to be shepherds of the people, but instead the shepherds have started eating their flocks. Right. And so because the shepherds are actually literally devouring their flocks, he's go- he's got to send someone else. He's going to send the good shepherd. So chapter four, which precedes our reading, is all about shepherding. And it's about um, this idea of the, uh, the, the poreth, is that what it's called? The, the breach, right, of the sheepfold. There's going to come someone who will protect the sheep, who will open the breach and actually let the sheep roam free and have their land and prosperity and and eat. Um, there's all this imagery of shepherding and sheep and stuff. And that's what then segues into chapter five, which says, and then just to zero in even further, you Bethlehem. And anybody reading this would think, oh, Bethlehem, that's where David was from. Well, what did David do when he was in Bethlehem? He was a shepherd. And so instantly bringing up the concept of Bethlehem, which actually in Hebrew means the house of bread, Beth is house and Lachem is, is bread. So you bread house, which was the place where David used to, where David grew up, where he was a shepherd. You were so small among the clans of Judah, but from you will come forth one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient times. He's not going to be like Hezekiah. He's not going to be like Ahaz. He's not even going to be like Josiah, who's one of the greatest kings. He's not even going to be like David. He will leapfrog all of those things because he, from the beginning, from ancient days, has always been the king. But then it segues into this, Which, but the Lord's going to give you up. He's going to sell not sell you out, but he's going to, um, that, that, I can't think of a better translation. He's going to give you up until the time is fulfilled for his birth to come. So, so in other words, from this point on, you're going to feel homeless. You're going to feel kingless. You will feel shepherdless because your corruption has brought punishment upon you. And exile is coming. And it's going to last until literally the birth of this king who's going to come in the unlikeliest of circumstances. You know what I, I just, you know what kind of sensitivity of soul it takes to actually anticipate that a single birth makes a difference. You know, like, 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 like sometimes we are like our dis, our disregard for human life sometimes actually goes so profoundly mm. deep. Mm. It almost like takes as a prerequisite Christian life of Christianity, though, to say that there are actually such souls that uh, matter so significantly that mm. we would anticipate their birth. That they're that, for like, thousands of years. For thousands of years, and like I mean, I, I think about Hundreds the da- like e- even the Dalai Lama, like mm. and how they like the the people mm. were looking and saying, "Will mm. we see a sign? Is there going to be mm. something that's given to us?" And to be able to be sensitive enough to say mm. that this singular life, now, like the the amount that you actually have to care for and prize. And how a king, like, and, and that's actually kind of part of the the spirituality of a monarchy. I mean, no, we're like, is to say that we, we're going to treasure and that the circumstances of somebody's life, but that even from their birth, that there's given mission. Yes. Like, because, because that's the thing that, that in a certain way, our culture, we, we live now where we say we're self-made people. We are, uh, we exist in a, in this kind of vacuum experience rather than saying, no, look. We we believe that God from before you were created had a, a vision of your whole life and yeah. knew who you were and made you in such a way that you were going to be able to accomplish true beautiful things. Which is interesting because you essentially just paraphrase something that Jeremiah said. Remember before I formed you in the womb, womb I, I knew, knew you. you. 
Well, no, is that Isaiah? No, that's Jeremiah, Jeremiah, right? That's Jeremiah. And behold, I have plans. I know the plans I have for you, Lord. And they are the good, Lord. not ill. But it's interesting that you essentially just paraphrase what Jeremiah said. But Jeremiah, we know, was very, very familiar with this text, right? Because he cites Micah a few yes. times. Yes. So you're setting this worldview. That, again, you talked about how we have lost sight of this, but Jeremiah is telling the people, too, you guys have lost sight of this, too. Right. <laughs> you need to be reminded of this because this is an old human problem. Right. And, and, and we hear that, like, like uh, we hear legends of that, of like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's why we, are, we live in a, in a pro-life capacity. Yes. We believe in life at, yes. the, f- at the foundation of it. So Yeah. Um, and and then I I loved it. Did you did you see the news story that they're creating an app for Bethlehem because it's so busy? Really? Yeah. That that they're like. What is the app? The app just actually tells people when things are happening. We're closed because at the best of <laughs> it says it, I saw the article. And the article says at the best of times you're waiting av- hours to see the the spot where Jesus is believed to have been born. So it's really crowded there. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it's hard to get a place to stay. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll just let that one hang. Which? Uh, <laughs> okay, I've got a weird segue to Psalm 80. Okay, man. Bring bring it on. Dog. Psalm 80. Now, there, I, this can't be coincidental, right? But it, it takes some work to get here. Psalm 80 says, Lord, let make us turn to you. Let us see your face and we shall be saved. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face and we shall be saved. So, Lord, you, know, you can make us turn to you. Let, let us see your face and we shall be saved. Good. Um, Dude, I mean, I really like that response. You no, actually helped me get there. Thank you. Thanks, and bro. you me. Hey. <laughs> see, it's a teamwork. Okay. Yeah. Lord, make us turn to you. Let us see your face. So, so you could read this, obviously, in the context of Micah. Right. And Micah is saying, you have um, you have actually turned away from God, from God's face. You've turned your faces from him. Um, but you're going to realize that at some point. This is these, these troubles are coming upon you. The punishment will come. And the response to what Micah is saying will eventually happen is going to be this. But, but there's something deeper embedded in this. And it, it doesn't show up in our reading from this week. It shows up about a chapter and a half before. Oh. So in, in chapter 3... Uh, yeah, it's in chapter three of Micah. It talks about God hiding his face. And because of their sin, because of this punishment they're bringing upon them, God is in a certain sense going to hide his face. You're hiding your face on the spit screen. What is that thing called? Pop filter. The pop filter of the microphone. Spit screen, I think, sounds better. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it talks about how God will hide his face, which, you know, that, that's, you know, we think of the psalm, but there's a very specific reference point there. And God hiding his face, I think, would be a pretty immediate reference to Hebrews who, who know their worldview and their, their faith, to uh, Numbers chapter 6. And Numbers chapter 6 was this very famous prayer that the priest was required to pray over the people every day. And you, you've heard it a million times, right? It's the one that says, uh, and I pray it over my kids every night. I do a little blessing on all three kids. And I say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Let his countenance shine upon you and give you peace. Is that one. So basically, Lord, let your face shine upon us. And then in, in Micah, it says, because of your sin, God's going to turn his face away from you. Yeah. And so now the psalm is saying, okay, we need you to turn your face back to us. Please go back to the way it used to be. 
Remember when we prayed insistently and consistently that you would shine your face on us. Please shine it again mm. because we know what it feels like when it when it doesn't seem like your face is shining upon us. Mm. We know the pain of that. We know the hurt of that. Now, we also know in the, the bigger biblical story that God never really turns away, right. but it's going to feel like he does. And he allows us to feel that a little bit. Right. He allows us to feel the hardness of that. Um, but this prayer in the psalm, I don't know. I, I don't think there can be coincidence that such a big part, such a powerful line of Micah is about how God will turn his face away from us. And the response is a pleading for him to turn back to us, mm. which I think is going to play itself back out in the gospel in a weird way. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that's all I got. To, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> which takes us to Hebrews. Yeah. Yeah. And Hebrews is the tough one. No, I think there is some stuff here, though. So we've talked about Hebrews before. Well, we, we have two things. It says, I come to do your will. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. So, but that, who is saying that? Um, as it written in me in a scroll, behold, I come to do your will. Then he says, behold, I come to do your will. So it's a prophecy and a fulfillment about mm. doing the will of the Lord. Okay, yeah, this is yeah. great. What does that mean? Um, that's, the, the, the bigger context is this. Um, because what, it's a bummer we actually don't get the first five verses of chapter 10. We just start in chapter five, or in verse five yeah. of chapter 10. <laughs> Hebrews, remember. Say that 10 times yeah, fast. It's hard. 10, 5, 10. Oh, it's an onomatopoeia. No? I don't know, man. Palindrome. 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 Onomatopoeia is, is like boom. Burp. <laughs> <laughs> Words that sound like themselves. Um, but the context for, for Hebrews, remember, it's this. It, it calls itself a word of exhortation rather than a letter. Okay. Written to... Hebrews, right? Jewish Christians, people who are from the Jewish worldview, who are now believers in Jesus, who are probably really struggling and might be tempted to throw in the towel and yeah. say, well, Judaism made more sense than this weirdo Christianity that we're doing now. And we don't get it. <laughs> and this Jesus, he's supposed to be high priest, but I don't see him anymore. And he's the sacrifice and the temple and the altar and the victim. But what now? I thought there were goats and stuff. And the high... it's really confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. And when you're a Jewish person who is very concrete and tangible about all these things that Jesus talks about. Right. And then seems to make abstract. You're like, what? What do you, that doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to go back to the way that I knew how to do this. You know, it's a, it, you, yeah, I actually, that's really interesting that you say that. Because, y- you know, the typical line, it says, uh, Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom. Wisdom, yeah. And I will just preach to you the cross. Yeah. Which I'm is preaching to you foolishness to everybody. Yeah, so which Paul. is which is like this is the thing is that the signs. What? Why do I like a sign? Because it tells me what to do. It's an it actual grace. Do. Yeah. Why do I like wisdom? Because it's intellectually satisfying. We actually get to see those things. Yeah. So we force yeah. the Greeks into actually recognizing sign value, concrete things. Yeah. Who love abstractions? That was the thing loved, about the Greeks. Right. They loved abstractions. Whereas we take the Jews and we actually abstract it and show them <laughs> right. how this is actually part of a larger pattern. And yeah. so when we're engaging in the Hebrews, then yeah. what we're seeing, what we're saying is like, are you kidding me? So you're saying that these things that I recognize in such a concrete way, they actually have to propel me into a d- bigger, larger pattern. Which you just set us up perfectly. So right. to back up, so we start in verse 5, but verse 1 of chapter 10 says this, which is essentially what you just said. Um, so talking about it's talking about sacrifice, right? All this animal sacrifice that was systematically, systemically done in the temple every day. But what it says in the beginning of the chapter is, for since the law has come, uh, for I'm sorry, for since the law has but a shadow 
of the good things that have come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices which are continually right. offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. In other words, these things that you experience in your life that are so concrete to you, the animal sacrifice, the priesthood, the blood poured out, all of this stuff that are so concrete, right. they're actually just a symbol. Of something else. Remember, we right. he just talked earlier about how Jesus. Remember when he when he um, did our atonement, when he when he performed his sacrifice, he went into the real holy of holies, right. not the one that's sitting on a hill in Jerusalem mm-hmm. that's made of bricks and mortar that got wiped out by the Romans in seventy A.D. He went to the real. That was just a model. That was a blueprint of something else right. that really existed in heaven. And all these animal sacrifice. They're all just shadows of a reality. They're all just a symbol of something that's real. And so these things that you think are real and you've put everything in. Yes, God asked for that. He allowed that. He wanted that. But it was to lead you to what was actually real. Because what you're seeing is not real. Because those animal sacrifices, all this blood ritual, all this stuff, even though it's what God asked for, it can never actually change you. Right. Because it's not the deepest reality. And this is, there's there's a tricky line in here. That I was, I kept going back to this morning as I was looking at this, which I think could mislead people if you if you read this wrong, because um, it says uh, ba sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body prepared for me, and a holocaust and sin offerings you took no delight, and so you can read this, and it says that a couple times, right? Sacrifices and offerings, holocausts and sin offerings, you neither desired nor delighted in. So this animal sacrifice, this blood pouring out, you didn't want nor did you desire, right. and so you could read that in the way that. Actually, Luther sort of tends this way that 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 pits the Old Testament against the New Testament. Right. Oh, Old Testament blood ritual, animal sacrifice, we're done bad. Over here. Right, but not even what we're done. But it was bad. Mm, yeah, which because, is the because God because, didn't desire it because the law brings death and right. and which grace is true life. But when 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 Hebrew says God neither desired nor delighted in it, that doesn't mean God still didn't command it. Right. But it's the equivalent, like, you know, if you have a, a child or a, or a best friend or something that falls into a drug addiction, you have to send them to drug rehab. You might need to send a family member to drug rehab. doesn't mean you're going to delight in it or desire it, right? Right. But you might have to necessarily do it. I don't delight over punishing my kids when they do something wrong. But it's still necessary. And as right. a good father, I still have to do that. Well, And if so you God, start delighting in it, then you're going then to confession. Then it's real bad news. The, the, then like yes. the distortions are boo-hoo. So to read this rightly, you see, oh, these sin offerings, these sacrifices, this blood ritual, it's a result of the sin that Micah is talking about. Our own corruption, our own selfishness, the fact that we needed to actually go through rehab and do some really hard work and sacrifice these animals that we were addicted to and show that these addictions of ours needed to be rooted out of our lives. God's not happy to see us suffer through these things, but it's necessary. Purgatory. When we hopefully pray God someday go and get to be with God, and when we pass through purgatory and all of our imperfections are burned off of us, I don't think God's smiling like, ha ha, now they're feeling the pain for all their sin. No. No, he's But he knows weeping. it's good. Right. But it's still good because it's going to heal us. So right. I, I don't know if I don't want to dwell unnecessarily on that, but I think you can easily misread this and create a juxtaposition that doesn't really exist. It is immediately, we're, we're right back to the first reading. Right. Saying you guys need to be cleansed of something, and it's kind of going to hurt. And so he says, I'm going to hand you over to this punishment for a little while. Right. Until the birth, until this birth happens. 
And so what Hebrews is saying is while you're still persisting in putting all of your faith in the animal sacrifices, you're letting yourself live in the time of exile. You're putting yourself back in the punishment when now it's time to leave rehab. It's time to get out. It's time to actually be free. Right. But you're still living in the punishment. Right. And as long as you still persist in these sacrifices, you're living, you're still grounded in your room when your parents have opened the door and say, come out, yeah. come to dinner, come have fun. Don't lock yourself in the room anymore. Right. Explore, Explore live. Live, right? Right. Because I was struggling with how Hebrews fits into all this, but I think that's, I think it's right. I think it's right. And I think it's a, the right way to segue out of it. Right. Actually, I don't know the segue. I just well, know that that's, we'll do that, it. that's like what this, that's what the spirit is, is it's well, like, come out. Mary set out. Is the first line we get in right Luke today? Yeah, that that that's that's interesting. It is kind of interesting, and it's it's a oh, gosh, there's so. I mean, I'm actually <laughs> this wasn't the reading I would have picked for the gospel to put all these <laughs> things together. To be quite right. honest with you, but this is what the church has given us, and the Mary setting out again. We need a little bit of context. She's setting out immediately after an angel appeared to her as a 12, 13 year old peasant girl in this town called Nazareth that nobody cares about. Who has announced to her that the world is... This angel has announced to Mary. He has titled her filled with grace. He's changed her identity. He's given her a new title. He has appeared and says, Hail to you who are filled with grace. The Lord is with you. Which means that Mary at that moment of of the Annunciation then becomes the new temple. And at the moment of the conception of Jesus, the old temple on the hill in Jerusalem miles away from where Mary is sitting at that moment, becomes immediately obsolete. Hmm. Because the presence of God is now somewhere else tangibly, physically, bearing in the womb of Mary. And she is now the new temple. And that prophecy of Micah, that you're going to be handed over and deal with this punishment until the day that this baby comes, that begins then, at that moment. And Mary gets this from the angel, and he's like, this is going to be real hard. You're going to be shamed. You might risk being stoned because you're going to be pregnant and you're not married. Like, all of these things. What do you say, Mary? And Mary says, I am willing to risk all of the potential consequences because I understand the the, the trajectory of salvation history. Surely. Well, she, she understands. There's no other reason for a 13-year-old girl to say yes to potential death and execution at the hands of what is unimaginable that she's going to go out into the world and bear with her. Right. And she says, yeah, be it done unto me. Any of you who have 12 or 13 year old girls, just think about the weight of what Mary actually says and the, the, the maturity and the spiritual understanding right. to say, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. Yeah. But yeah, fiat, I say yes. And then Mary sets out. Right. She makes a run for it, partially because she's probably freaked out. Well, and partially I, because I she always, needs to care for her her cousin. Well, that that's the whole that's the whole thing. Well, Elizabeth is in old age, by the way. Oh, older. <laughs> well, this is depressing. You want to be depressed? No, no, no. Okay, no. all right. Forty. Yeah, probably mid forties. Because in Levitical law, you could only be a serving priest up until I think age forty five or forty seven. Somebody talking about how old Zechariah and Elizabeth are. They're probably mid forties at best. Okay, see, that's good. Is it? Yeah, because well, I think of them as these old elderly. But I mean, I think that it taps into something so ancient with women. Mm, it does, you know, Absolutely. like actually coming and being oh, with yeah. them while they're pregnant, and like mm. and like just like 
loving and caring for each other in this like beautiful, like the very best of women in their communality. Yes. Like mom's groups, you know, like we, we call <laughs> it like the, the ultimate mom's group. Yeah. yeah. This <laughs> right is the here, ultimate right? mom's group. Yeah. When they get together and, and like, because then they like, it just, you say, I'm going to make a gift of myself because mm. by being with another who is also making a gift of themselves, uh, we yes. actually learn how to make gifts of ourselves. Absolutely. So like there, there's like this Absolutely. powerful gift in the midst of this. And like, of course, we see that, the, but then we tap this into the ancient, uh, the, the the ancient reality of the Ark of the Covenant going into the hills is like yep. it's just for three months for three months to the house of Obadiah and what happened there? David leaps before it, right? John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's room. There, there's there's so much mileage we could get from that. That's partially why I'm so frustrated by this, right? Because this is a podcast right here. I mean, there's so much. The one thing I do have, there's so many details that we could explore here. Right, because Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. It's just so powerful. But one thing I can't let go, because it's so cool. Hit me up, though. There's so many things. Elizabeth, remember, is is uh, of the Levites. She's from the family of the high priest. She's yes. of the daughters of Aaron. So she's a priestly person. She's not an ordained priest in that sense, but right. she's from a priestly family. Priestly so, class. Yeah. So Mary shows up. Um, Elizabeth, one of the things you, we could say, her. Uh, it says... Um, when Luke says she cried out in a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women, the word he uses for to cry out in Greek, yeah. the only other context that I'm aware of is high priests praising God before the temple. Oh. it's a very So Luke, believe me, knows exactly what he's doing by putting that verb. When he says, it is not like Mary Elizabeth said or She's Elizabeth like, shouted. Up? No, he says he uses the terminology for the priests before the temple. Because he oh. knows exactly what's going on, and then what she says is, I always thought of it in this way, where like you know how like w- when girls greet each other, they match each other's tone. <laughs> so it's like, hi, 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 hey, yeah. hey. It's not that. No, it's that. Logan's but, crying. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's but what does she just... cry out? She says, "Blessed are you among women." And you you know this whole thing, I mean, right? D- this Judith, is so cool. Judith JL. There's only three times in the whole Bible where that term is used, blessed among women. Yep. And it's, yeah, it's uh, JL first in the book of Judges. Yep. Who shoves a tent stake through the head of an, a, a general of like the Philistine army. Right. And ends up un- being the unlikely hero that defeats... The, the the wins the battle for Israel. Absolutely. Judith later on when she cuts the head off cuts the head of, off of King Halifernes and I, then frees all of Israel from its oppression. Right. And then the only other time that that term is used is when Elizabeth cries out in the priestly voice before the temple, "Blessed among women." Which you know what's the commonality? The only time that term is used is when women strike a death blow to the head of okay. a fatal enemy. Right. Uh, Which, it, 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 in in isolation and aloneness, actually, yeah, that's absolutely true. Like that, uh, like ap- well, I've never thought about that part. Tom, Tom Smith, mm. like, uh, like he mm. is actually the one who introduced me to this, and I've always wanted to see a stained glass stained glass window. Do you that, know there's a fresco in Ein Karem, which was the birthplace of John the Baptist? Oh, of I don't know, I don't know what you were about to say, but there is a fresco dating from the second century. It's so old. And I've never been able to find it on like Google Images. So when right. Sean Flack, our friend, went to the Holy Land, yeah. I was like, "You got to find this church, and you got to f- take a picture of this fresco for me." Did he? Yes, he found it, and it's this icon from the second century of Mary, flanked on each side by Judith and JL. Oh man, which is so cool because somebody got that. Well, because it's it's like it's really intense, but it also speaks like this is like the whole the whole kind of vibe of the podcast today. Mm-hmm. And what I feel like the Lord is saying is that the prefaces, the context, the anticipations, yeah, Micah into Jeremiah, 
you know, the, 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 you just set me up in a big way. Yeah. The patterns that we're experiencing help us to actually grasp what's going on. This is the pattern. This is the whole spirit of the podcast. This is the spirit of the incarnation. This is the things that we are no longer luxuriously allowed to be Mm. ignorant of. Yeah. I mean, this is in a certain way, like sometimes we actually take the, we take the, um, the whole part of these things and we let ourselves remain ignorant in them. And we refuse to see the whole tapestry. Yeah. And and that when we see the tapestry, that's actually the most powerful way to engage the mysteries. That's how we understand what the glory of the Lord is. So let me give you one more corner piece on that note. This is my last thing. Okay. Um, Mary, of course. In case anyone's missing it, she crushes the head of the serpent. I mean, this goes back to Genesis right. three fifteen, right? That you will crush his head. Right. But what's happening? What is Elizabeth doing? Elizabeth is bearing John the Baptist, right? Who's going to be the new Elijah? Who's going to be the forerunner of all of this? Right. Um. Oh, how do I how do I set this up? Because there's so. Oh, uh, do you remember? So John the Baptist's dad. Yep. Zechariah. Yep. Back in chapter one. Well, earlier in chapter one of Luke. It's a long chapter. Yep. Remember, he was in the temple and the angel Gabriel showed up and he said, You're going to have this son. He's going to change everything and it's going to be amazing. And Zechariah's like, I don't know if I buy that. I'm too old and this doesn't make any sense. Remember, and he struck mute. Right. Remember that whole scene? Yep. Well, one of the things that's troubling about that scene that he struck mute is that he's offering the incense. So he at that moment is offering the prayer of all of Israel. Who is at this moment in, in history basically saying, how long until we're out of the punishment? Right. How long until exile ends? Right. right. How long until we're done with all this? And what would happen after he offered the incense and, and did the sacrifice, he would go out to all of Israel who was gathered at the evening at the evening sacrifice time. And he would finish the liturgy by pronouncing the words of Numbers chapter 6 upon them. Uh. And he would do the final blessing. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord make his countenance. When he's struck mute, that means he can't finish the liturgy. The liturgy that he is performing at that moment is incomplete because he can't go to the people. It's like saying mass, but you can't give the final blessing. Right. Which means it just sort of continues awkwardly for nine months. Right. <laughs> right. Until what's the first thing that Zechariah says when he's not mute anymore? He says the name of John, the mm. son. Do you know what John means? What? means the Lord's face will shine upon you. Uh. <laughs> he pronounces in the name of John, who is in Elizabeth's womb, who's leaping at the sight of the mm. answer to all of this prayers, all of this question, all of the prophecies, the one who is God shining his face upon us is now leaping at God's face being shown upon us. Mm. Who is the answer to Zechariah's liturgy? Who is the answer to the prayer? Who is the answer to all of the prophecies? Of Micah, to, everything. And of the, of the sacrifice in Hebrews. The hopes and fears of all the years. Yeah. Dude, that was really, that's just cool. It's so beautiful. I know. But like you said, it takes a little bit. You have to see the borders. Right. You have to look a little bit beyond, which is one of the challenges for some reason that the church is giving us this week. Yeah. It's actually more complex to go through these, which is in a time when people who are um, unprepared a lot of times to actually be able to receive the mystery. (laughs) That's true. To try to make those contexts. Indeed. So, hey, God bless you guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We will talk to you when we do. And we will see what seek. Seek 19. Okay. Bye. Bye.